Hi, my name is Michael Sano. I'm Jewish and I love Israel. So if you love Israel, if you love being Jewish, or if you have an unwavering connection to the land of Israel, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Hey, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? My name is Michael Sano, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 12 Cities in Israel podcast, the only positive podcast about the history, the food, the culture, and the people of Israel. I got that kind of backwards. Normally, I do history last, but hey, what you going to do? Um, listen, if this is your first time watching, hit the uh, like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. If you want to take us with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. This episode, as my viewers who have been watching know, has been brought to you by uh, the 12 Cities in Israel Modern Hebrew Flashcards, the best way to learn or to brush up on Hebrew. They are available on Amazon for Kindle. If you don't have Kindle, uh, check down in the description. You can download it to your Android, iPhone, uh, desktop, Mac, or iPad, um, it's available on all those platforms. So uh, go over there and check it out. Hey, um, I went to Miami, so I'm back from Miami, and I was gone for I was gone for a week, but I took about two weeks off. And while I did, well, we kind of had a war. Um, I'm going to be covering that uh, in one of the upcoming episodes. I want to get through these The 12 Cities in Israel First uh, series, where I tell you all about the 12 cities in Israel, uh, the 12 cities that I've chosen as the uh, the super-duper major um, places to visit and places that carry the most history. Um, but I will be going over that. So I apologize if it is if, if I'm not bringing it to you right now. Um, but... I will. So with that, let's roll into our next city. Uh, I'm going to give you the history on it. And it is, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see behind me, it is Yafo, otherwise known as Jaffa. But in Hebrew, um, it is known as Yafo. So I will be referring to it since I speak a smattering of Hebrew. Um, I will be referring to it throughout the uh, throughout the episode as Yafo. So let's get right into it. So Yafo is uh, the southern, uh, one of the oldest ports in Tel Aviv. Um, it is an ancient port city in Israel, and it's famous for its association with the biblical stories of Jonah, Solomon, and uh, as well as the myth mythological story of Andromeda and Perseus. So it's a magical Mediterranean port city um, that has seen the footprints of every major and minor empire in the region. It's it's. It's amazing. It's a fascinating city. It's a beautiful city. And when I, I, I wrote magical Mediterranean city, and I mean it when you go there, when you see it, um, and you see the rocks of Andromeda and you walk along those stone staircases on those winding 
they're not alleys they're the actual like roadways ish um but it's it's fabulous it's amazing and it is such a vibrant city with an amazing history so let's shoot into that right now so ancient yaffa was built in the middle bronze age um on a 130 foot tell which was created through the accumulation of debris and landfill over the centuries um, it was set on a high ridge with a broad view of the coastline and this position specifically gave the ancient site a distinct advantage that allowed uh, Yafo to remain an important strategic port throughout its history um, the Yafo that we know from antiquity, it was established at the latest in around 1800 BCE, before the Common Era. Now, the city of Yafo is mentioned in an Egyptian letter from 1440 BCE. And this letter retells the story of the taking of Joppa, which is the Greek name for the city, and glorifies, glorifies its conquest by the pharaoh thutmose the third whose general and i'm gonna i'm gonna slaughter this one jahutni uh hids egyptian soldiers in sacks uh carried by pack animals and sent them camouflaged as a tribute into the canaanite city uh trojan horse anyone come on um now these hidden soldiers then emerged and surprised the canaanites holding the city, and then the Egyptian soldiers took Yafo or Joppa as their own. Now, going back to the Trojan horse, um, this story predates uh, the tale of the Trojan horse, as told by Homer, by at least 200 centuries. Uh, by at least two centuries, so 200 years, sorry. Um, so, wait a minute, I'm sensing a little bit of... Uh, I'm going to use the word plagiarism in the ancient world. I'm sorry, Homer, but that's not your jam. That's not your story. Um, it is the story of the Egyptians taking Yafo from the Canaanites. So Yafo is also mentioned in the, our, um, the Amarna letters um, under its Egyptian name, Yafo. Uh, the city remained under Egyptian rule until approximately eight. 100 BCE. So from this, I mean, you know, we're talking about pharaohs. We're talking about way back in the day. So Yafo goes way back. So you have a an opportunity when you go there to actually be walking on the same ground as people who had been there 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It's absolutely phenomenal. Now, Yafo is mentioned four times in the bible uh first as a city opposite the terror territory given to the hebrew tribe of don in uh joshua 1946 then as a port of entry for the cedars of lebanon for solomon's temple in 2 chronicles 216 it is uh, the place where the prophet jonah embarked uh for tarshish in Jonah 1.3, and then finally, as part of the cedars of Lebanon to come into the land for the second temple 
of Jerusalem in Ezra 3.7. So it has a lot of biblical importance. I'm going to take a sip of coffee. Peter, this is for you, J-Hats, as well. Those are my two Patreon subscribers. If you want to go over there, hit it up. It's in the beginning, and it's also in the notes below. So give me one moment. Mm-mm-mm. Awesome Jacob's coffee. Um, so Yafo is mentioned in the book of Joshua as the territorial border of the tribe of Don. Um, and it is where the modern term Gush Don did not know this at all for the center of the coastal plain comes from. The tribe of Don did not manage to remove the Philistines from Yafo, though, uh, but many descendants of Don lived along the coast and earned their living from shipbuilding, the sea trade, and from fishing. Now, in the Song of Devorah, in Judges 5, Devorah, the fourth judge of pre-monastic Israel, big words there, asks... And Don, why did he linger by the ship? So here we go. We, we, we've got some, I like to think of it as historical evidence because I think of the Torah, the Bible, as the just the history of the Jewish people in the land of Israel. But um, there you go. And eventually, after years of Canaanite and Philistine, Philistine, sorry, uh, control of Yafo, King David and his son, King Solomon, captured the city and used its port to bring in the cedars used during the construction of the first temple in Yerushalayim in Jerusalem. Now, this sovereignty, though, didn't last. And after the death of Solomon, uh, Yafo returned back to Philistine control. Why do we know this? Because in the late 8th century BCE, the Neo-Assyrian emperor Sennacherib did I say that right? I hope so. Is recorded as having conquered Yafo from the Philistine king of Ashkelon, which I went over in our um, Ashkelon episode. Go back, check some of these out. It's really some amazing history. Um, you can really see a lot of how Israel developed over time. And it's, it's just, it's fascinating. Um, I hope you enjoy these histories as much as I enjoy researching them and bringing them to you. So now we have the Neo-Assyrians. <coughs> Excuse me. So the occupation of Yafo by the Neo-Assyrian king Sennacherib, which occurred during the reign of King Hezekiah in 701 BCE, was later interrupted by a period of Babylonian occupation. They're always there. What? Those guys? Now, while under the rule of the Persians, Yafo was governed by the Phoenicians on their behalf. So we know the Phoenicians were up in Syria. The Tyrians, I'm pretty sure, might have that wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that's what it is. So they ruled, um, the Persians ruled Yafo from Tyr, the Phoenician Empire. So during, but that came to an end because um, because of the Hellenistic period. And this is where it gets kind of public consciousy. So Yafo has become a prominent location in Greek mythology with the tale of Perseus, Clash of the Titans, anyone. In it, he is supposed to have saved Andromeda from the sea monster Cetus by slaying it either by ramming a sword into its back or by turning it into the stone 
into stone with the head of the Gorgon Medusa. Remember that? Woo! The first one. Remember the stop action? It was awesome with the skeletons and everything. Sorry, I'm reliving my childhood right now. Now, Andromeda's Rock can still be seen sitting in Yafo's Harbor. Interestingly, scholars have noted that the Cetus is similar to the biblical sea monster in the book of Jonah. There are even references as to whether or not this mythological whale, because that's where... Um, the, that that is the his the what is it would it be anthropological historical i don't know some guy what would that guy's title be but basically he and a, or she or a group of people came to the assumption that the cetus this great sea monster was uh that in greek and biblical narratives uh was a whale which is interesting because we have the jonah swallowed by a whale thing Anyways, it is doubtful, though, that sea monsters uh, were what Alexander the Great's troops worried about when his armies held Yafo during his conquests towards the east. Um, it was wrested by Alexander from the Phoenicians sometime around 332 BCE and then later became a port city of the Seleucid Empire when Alexander's generals fought for the scraps of his empire following his death it remained under seleucid control until the maccabean revolt uh which took place from 167 to 160 bce and thus came under the control of the hasmonean dynasty now yaffa was uh then captured and raised later on uh during the first jewish roman war because after the hasmonians the romans came in uh which took place from 66 to 73 ce by the roman general cestius gallus uh the jewish historian josephus in his book jewish war wrote that 8400 of yafo's inhabitants died during gallus's massacre of the city later Pirates who had moved into the ruined city and were operating from the rebuilt port incurred the wrath of Vespasian, who was then a general, not yet the emperor. Uh, after routing the pirates, he again raised the city and erected a citadel with the Roman garrison in its place. According to Josephus, however, the harbor of Yafo was inferior to that of Caesarea, and is most likely the reason that uh, pirates were able to get away with using it in the first place. Just in case you wanted to know, I've got the info. So um, in the first millennium, Yafo was a seat of rabbinic scholarship uh, with a number of Jewish scholars making uh, mention of or visiting the city. Their accounts can be found in a number of rabbinic texts, such as the Midrash, the Jerusalem Talmud, and the Babylonian Talmud, and also in the Pesikta Rabati, um, which is a Jewish um, mystological text. I don't even know if that's a word. Sort of like, uh, um, well, well, it's a... a 
it's a book of Jewish mysticism. It's really, it's an amazing read and it has some really amazing insights into not only the thought, but religiously into Judaism itself. So several streets and alleys found in what is now the Yaffa flea market are um, in that area are named after these renowned Jewish scholars. How cool is that? Um, and with regard to the early first centuries of Christianity, uh, which also had a place in the area at the time, Yaffa was relatively unimportant to the Romans and to the Byzantines. But in the fifth century CE, so that's like what that's 500 years later, um, it was named as a bishopric or a diocese. Um, with only a small number of Greek or Latin bishops known to historians. So it was it, it, it was noted for being under the control of, what's it called, the Holy See, I think. Uh, but it wasn't so prominent that it had a role maybe on the councils. Like, I know that Ashkelon had a big role. Um, all right, so... In 636, Yaffa was conquered during what was the Rashidun Caliphate's 25-year period of military expansion following um, the death of Muhammad. And this expansion led to the expulsion of the Byzantine Empire from the Levant, and Yaffa remained under the control of the Rashidun Empire until the establishment of the Umayyad Empire, uh, which was a rival faction. Um, under the new caliphate, it served as a port for the inland city of Ramla, which is about six miles away, and the Umayyad provincial capital of the region at the time. So Ramla was, for the Umayyads, I, I found out during this that Ramla, Ramla was, uh, was built by the Umayyads in that time. So it's not one of the ancient, more ancient cities, um, but still an important city. So um, this all changed, though, in June of 1099 uh, with the capture of Yafo during the First Crusade. And the Crusaders then made the city the seat of the county of Jaffa and Ascalon. Now I'm saying Jaffa and Ascalon because that is the, 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 the naming that they used. So the Crusaders then made the city the seat of the county of Jaffa and Ascalon in the newly established kingdom of Jerusalem. Um, Jaffa would change hands again in 1187 when it was conquered by Saladin and yet again on September the 10th, 1191. What a horrible place to live at during this time, right? When the city surrendered to King Richard the Lionheart three days after the Battle of Arsuf. Um, Saladin attempted to reoccupy the city in the Battle of Jaffa in July of 1192, but the city remained in the hands of the Crusaders. On September 2nd, 1192, um, the Treaty of Jaffa was formally signed um, and thus began a three-year truce between the two armies, which is interesting because these guys both wanted each other's heads. Now, decades later, Frederick II fortified the castle of Jaffa and had two inscriptions carved into the city wall, one Latin and the other Arabic. Uh, the inscription was deciphered in 2011. Why it took so long? I don't know why. Um, and it describes him as the Holy Roman Emperor and bears the date 12 
29. Bum, bum, bum. So let me just take another sip of coffee at the end of the Crusades. Do you think that they did that? No, there was no coffee then, right? Darn. I, how did they live? All right, there you go. I'm repowered. Um, so eventually the Crusaders were driven from the Holy Land by the Mamluks. And in 1268, Yaffa was conquered by an army led by the fourth Sultan of Egypt in the Mamluk Bari dynasty named Baibars. Now, over the next few centuries, Yaffa remained a small fortified port town on the Mediterranean, and it was a hub a, for commerce and a frequent destination for pilgrims and visitors to the region. Now, this brings us, of course, to the Ottoman period. And with the expansion of the Ottoman Empire under Sultan Selim I, Yaffa was conquered in 1515. So we had a couple of centuries that passed between the Mamluks to the Ottoman times. And it seems as if Yafo just kind of went with the flow of whoever was in the area. Now, in the Ottoman census of 1596, Yafo was bureaucratically placed in the sub-district of Ramla within the regional district of Gaza. It had a population of 15 households, all of which reported to be Muslim, and they paid a fixed rate of 33.3% on various trade products. So you'll be able to tell your friends at your next dinner party that, hey, did you know that under Ottoman rule in the 1500s that uh, Yafo, uh, residents of Yafo paid 33.3% on all their trade products? You will, because you heard it here. Um, uh, tons of useless information, but it's interesting. So, all right. So botanist and travel writer Leonard Rowolf landed near Yafo in September of 1575. And he wrote, we landed on the high rocky shore where the town of Joppa did stand formerly. At this time, the town was so demolished that there was not one house to be found. And when the travel writer John Kotvik or Kotvictus visited Yafo in 1538, or no, 1598, sorry, he described it as a heap of ruins. Wow, put that on the travel brochure. That is not a pleasant description. Now, the dilapidated, that was fun, and ruined state of the city changed in the 17th century with the reestablishment of churches and hostels for Christian pilgrims en route to Jerusalem and the Kinneret, or the Galilee. And during the 18th century, the coastline around Yafo was often besieged, as it had been in the past, by pirates, and this led to the inhabitants relocating inland to Romle, Romle and to Lod. Now, while away, the city's former residents relied on messages from a solitary guardhouse at the port to inform them when ships were approaching the harbor. Imagine being that guy. It's like living in a lighthouse. Um, this difficulty with pirates, pirates, I just imagine all these parrots with uh, cutlasses and stuff. Now, uh, sorry. <laughs> 
This difficulty with pirates was only the beginning, though, because the landing of goods and passengers was notoriously difficult and dangerous in the waters off of Yafo's port. And until well into the 20th century, ships were forced to rely on teams of oarsmen to bring their cargo ashore. Wow. So on the 7th of March, 1799, Napoleon, during his campaign in the Middle East, captured the town in what was called the Siege of Jaffa. Now, during which his forces ransacked the city and killed scores of local inhabitants as a reaction to his envoys being murdered as they delivered his ultimatum of surrender to the residents and forces in Jaffa. In Yafo. So, in another brutal act of revenge, Napoleon ordered the massacre of thousands of Muslim soldiers who were imprisoned after having surrendered to the French. So, Napoleon was kind of a jerk. Bottom line, easy. Which is interesting because there are like these little icons of Napoleon all over Yafo on the lampposts and stuff. So, if he was this horrible, why is his likeness everywhere? I have no idea. I actually have to ask someone. Um, so death would continue in Yafo uh, when an epidemic of the bubonic plague attacked the city soon after Napoleon's departure. Now, after all these devastating events, a new Ottoman governor was appointed to Yafo. His name was Muhammad Abu Nabut, and he organized a number of of building and restoration projects uh, to bring the city back together. But this was all set back in 1834 uh, during the Peasant Revolt. And during this rebellion against the Ottoman Egyptian governor's conscription and taxation policies in the Ottoman Jerusalem district, Yafo experienced 40 days of violent civil unrest. So basically what was happening is the Egyptian governor uh, was placing demands for conscription and goods on the people of what was known in the Ottoman Empire as the Jerusalem district, which is now the area of Israel. Um, a relative calm returned to Yafo in the 19th century and residents reestablished themselves in the city. And in 1820, um, Isaiah Ajiman of Istanbul built a synagogue and a hostel for Jews on their way to the holy cities in Jerusalem of in on their way to the holy cities of Jerusalem, Hebron, Tveria and Svat and this area became home to a thriving Jewish community in Yafo that still exists to this day. Um, in 1832, Yafo saw more unrest at the hand of Ottoman power plays when the Ottoman gover governor of Egypt, Muhammad Ali, uh, attempted to take the city by force and add it to the territorial ambitions of his own Egyptian empire. See, he was breaking away and wanted Yafo for himself. Um, by 1839, Yaffa was home to at least 153 Sephardi Jews led by over 50 years by Rabbi Yehuda Halevi Miragusa in the early 1850s. And Rabbi Halevi 
leased an orchard to an American woman named Clorinda S. Minor, and Minor was the founder of a Christian messianic community called Mount Hope uh, that established a farming initiative to encourage local Jews to learn manual trades with the intention of bringing about the second coming of Jesus. So if, to her, I guess if Jews learned how to be plumbers and whatnot, then Jesus would come. I don't know how that works. Um, it's a little confusing to me. If someone could put down in the comments why, I would love to know. I'm not disparaging it. I'm not being rude. I just, it doesn't, it's, it's an odd story. That's all. So the orchard changed hands in 1855 when Halevi sold the orchard to the British Jewish philanthropist Moses Montefiore, although minor inter-Messianic group continued to manage it. Um, in 1867, Yafo had a population of approximately 5,000 residents, with 3,200 of them being Muslim, 1,000 of them being Christian, and 800 of them Jews. Uh, during this time, Yafo's city walls were torn down, and in the 1870s, the city expanded to embrace its growing population, which we're going to go into because Yafo just balloons in size. So the population continued to grow as Yafo entered the beginning of the 20th century. And because of this, this is so cool. A group of Jews purchased land on the sand dunes just to the north of the city. Are you following? Um, then in 1909, a lottery was held to divide the lots for a settlement that was first known as Ahuzat Bayat. Now, this name was changed by its residents on May twenty-four, uh, May twenty-first, nineteen ten, to the more familiar. Are you ready? Tel Aviv, Yachabibi, Tel Aviv. So Tel Aviv came into existence out of Jewish residents from Yafo, and we're gonna do another episode after this on Tel Aviv. But how neat is that? Did you know that? I didn't know. I mean, I sort of knew something about it, but I think it's such a cool story. Um, so at the time of the establishment of this new settlement, numerous other Jewish suburbs also came into existence, all making room for an influx of new Jewish immigrants to the Holy Land. Now, with them came Rabbi Avraham Isaac Kook. And he, I love that name. And he is one of the founding fathers of religious Zionism. Um, and he assumed the role of chief rabbi of Yafo. Then in 1917, it gets bad though, Ottoman authorities began a deportation of both Tel Aviv and Yafo, which resulted in the Ottomans expelling the entire civilian population, everyone. Eventually, the Muslim evacuees of the cities and surrounding towns were allowed to return but the Jewish evacuees from the area remained in camps, with even some of them having been deported to Egypt. They remained there until after the British campaign against the Ottoman Empire during World War I. Now, following this campaign, the British captured Yafo in November of 1917, but it still remained under observation and fire from Ottoman forces until late December 1917. Then... Riding a wave of successes led by the capture of Jerusalem on the 11th of December, the British pushed Ottoman forces back in the Battle of Jaffa, 
which secured the city and allowed the lines of communication between Yafo and Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, to be reestablished. I'm going to have one more sip of coffee, and then we're going to talk about the British Mandate. Uh-uh-uh. So it is. It's a fast. It's it rides this just roller coaster of all this stuff happening. So after assuming control of the former Ottoman territories and establishing the British Mandate um, for Palestine, a census was conducted in 1922. And during the census, Yafo was shown to have had a population of 47,799, consisting of 20,699 Muslims, 20,152 Jews, and 6,850 Christians. The population increased by the time of the 1931 census from 47,000 to 51,866. So, Yaffa, remember I told you, Yafo was starting to boom. Now, during the British Mandate, tensions were aggravated between the Jewish and Arab populations of Yafo, resulting in a wave of Arab attacks in both 1920 and 1921, which caused a number of Jewish residents to flee and resettle in Tel Aviv which at the time was just a small Jewish neighborhood. The Yafo riots of 1921 began with a May Day parade that devolved into violence as Arab rioters attacked Jewish residents and buildings, killing 47 Jews and wounding 146. It was during these riots that the celebrated Hebrew author Yosef Chaim Brenner was killed. He's one of my favorite authors. I, I need to do an episode on him. Um, as a result of this, by the end of 1922, Tel Aviv had 15,000 residents, and by 1927, the population had risen to 38,000. So as a di direct relation uh, correlation between these Yafo riots, Tel Aviv grew. Now, despite this violence, during most of the 1920s, Yafo and Tel Aviv maintained a peaceful yet wary coexistence. Um, the city was also home to most of the Jewish businesses and some of the surrounding Jewish neighborhoods were paying taxes to the municipality in Yafo. Um, also located in Yafo was the first electric company in mandatory Palestine. How cool is that? Uh, which was owned by Jewish shareholders and had been named the Yafo Electric Company. Thus began in 1923 um, the rapid process for the creation of a joint grid that electrified both Yafo and Tel Aviv. So in 1923, boom, we got power. Um this wary coexistence between the Jewish and Arab population in mandatory Palestine disintegrated with the eruption of the 1936 to 1939 Arab revolt and inflicted wide-scale damage to Yafo's economy and its infrastructure. And it began on April 19, 1936, uh, with a riot that resulted in nine Jews murdered, um, and with dozens more injured. Now, during the revolt, the Arab leadership declared a general strike, which largely started in the port of Yafo, um, which for the Arab rioters had become a local point 
excuse me, for Arab resistance. So the Port of Yafo was the focal point for Arab resistance. Now, the British, as a result, had military reinforcements brought in from both Malta and Egypt to subdue the rioting, which had spread through, was now spreading throughout the country. And Yafo's old city, with its maze of winding alleyways and its underground sewers, uh, the underground sewer system provided an ideal escape route for the rioters fleeing the British Army as they tried to suppress the revolt. Now, in May 1936, in a bid to quash the Arab resistance, Yafo, Yafo's uh, municipal services were cut off and the old city was barricaded by the British. Um, all access roads into the city were covered with glass shards and nails. And in June, British bombers dropped boxes of leaflets in Arabic requesting the inhabitants to evacuate that same day. Then, on June 16th, British Royal Engineers blew up approximately 220 to 240 homes running from the east to the west. And this left an open strip that cut straight through the city from end to end. And as a result, 6,000 Arab residents of Yafo were left homeless. Now, a British uh, siege of the city took place on the evening of June 17th, 1936, <coughs> with 1,500 British troops entering Yafo, supported by a British warship that was sealing off any escape by sea and on the 29th british troops conducted demolition operations that destroyed numerous buildings and structures from the north of the city down to the south down through to the south and in the end the british regained control of yafo well they can regain control of what was left of yafo they had destroyed everything else now by 1945 yafo's population had returned and it had swelled to 94,310, uh, of whom 50,880 were Muslims, 28,000 were Jews, 15,400 were Christians, who were mostly Greek Orthodox, with approximately one-sixth of them members of the Eastern Catholic Church, and 30 of whom who were classified as other. I don't even know what that means, but... Um, Wow! Nobody likes Yafo. Uh, nobody can just come to Yafo and make it work. Everything is just, oh, you know what I mean? Like crazy. Everyone's sacking it. Everyone's sieging it. Everyone's raising it. Um, from all the way back to you know, the uh, the oh, who is it? The Persians all the way up until the British. So. All right, that's it. Um, I finish off with the British mandate, and that is, yeah, that's this episode. Hey, I hope you liked this episode. Um, if you liked it, hit the like button, the subscribe button, and the notification bell. And if you want to take it with you, you can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and on Spotify. Um Listen, I would love for you to go over to Amazon and check out our flashcards. They are the best way to learn Hebrew or to brush up. We have a new set coming out. It is Verbs. It's a big set. 
and it it's taken a lot of of work just it's a full conjugation of about i think it's a hundred verbs so it's really worth it 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 gives you its bang for its buck so um we also have a couple of other ones we have the alapet in print and script which you can get now we also have numbers in hebrew and we have body and clothing which also includes colors um you can find it on amazon for kindle and as i said um if you don't have kindle on your android uh iphone ipad pc or your mac you can download it below in the description also there you'll find my children's book who is a jew that tells you uh it's a bedtime story and it tells your kids how awesome it is to be jewish so uh check that out as well all right hey that is it um Thank you.